Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Monday morning, snow-filled, February 1st, 2021. Hopefully it's not that cold where you are, but where we are, it's cold, it's windy, and there's a foot of snow. That's Tristan Happy Cockrop. Happy that he doesn't have to, you know, uh, move the snow out of his driveway until tomorrow, I guess. Oh, not true. (laughs) Not true. I'm waiting until it ends. Why would I do it in the middle of the storm? I'm waiting till the storm is actually over and all the snow is here and then I'll get rid of it. You be the lucky folks. You be the lucky folks. Where I'm at, it's already at a foot. And if I didn't move some of it, I wouldn't be getting the snowblower to take care of it afterwards. And thankfully, thankfully it worked. Snowmageddon is here. By the uh, way. Snowmageddon is here. Yeah. Perfect, perfect theme for you with that. We, we, we should say happy birthday to Kyle. We missed it yesterday. Yesterday was his birthday? Yesterday was Kyle's birthday yesterday. Birthday. Happy. Happy. Birthday. Darkness. No candles. Why is that darkness? That's not nice. He's a happy kid. Why would he <laughs> not have like, you know, like happiness? Everybody has to be serenaded by Lego Batman. Come on. You know that. It's tradition on this show. Kyle will be with us a little bit later. We're having some uh, some uh, problems connecting all, all together today, probably because the internet's not working properly. Thank you, Kyle Sapi is our researcher, <laughs> producer, friend, and birthday. What is he like? Twenty now. Um, lots to get to on today's show. We'll talk about this NFBC draft that Tristan and I are in the middle of. He's been on the clock for like three hours and won't make a pick, but he doesn't need to make any more picks. So he's not going to win anyway. We'll also talk about the big news of the past week, including the Rockies giving up on their season and uh, some other signings and the Phillies spending lots of money. They've now spent the second most money this offseason, which makes no sense. But hey, I'm happy. It's not my money. All right, Tristan, let's start with Nolan Arenado, who's now a member of the St. Louis Cardinals, or will be, perhaps by the time that you listen to this. That trade happened over the weekend, was a Friday night, and um, lots of hurdles need to be, I don't know, what they're doing. I mean, the the Rockies are basically saying, we don't want them anymore, we can't afford them anymore, like half of the uh, MLB teams. I'll reserve judgment, because for all we know, know, everybody just looks at this trade and says, my goodness, so one-sided. Arenado's awesome. They're getting nothing back in the trade, and they're throwing in $50 million or whatever it is. And I say, let it play out. Arenado didn't hit all that well in 2020. He had a shoulder injury. I had already dropped him in my rankings. Now he's leaving Coors Field. I don't want to overrate that part of it because Matt Holliday and DJ LeMahieu and others have hit fine after leaving the Rockies. I'm actually more worried about the shoulder than I am about him leaving Coors Field. Is that, re- is that ridiculous or does that make sense? No, I think that makes sense. Uh, it, it is the the number one thing that concerned me about the decline from last year was, I think it was all shoulder. If you look at what happened before the point that started to come up, he was hitting other than batting average within a reasonable range of seasons past. And the small sample probably influences that. We know the course field really does bump up batting average. That's the key for course is batting average is the category in which it grasps hold. So I kind of throw that category out of the, out of the, you know, out of the mix in a short season like this. Arenado fell apart after that point when the shoulder started becoming an issue. The hard contact numbers came down, and I need to know that he's 100% in order to get on board as a bounce back. Really, all this did for me as a trade, other than, you know, as you mentioned, he he does lose cores, has to make that adjustment. We need to see about the shoulder. Is It did decide what was a very close tier of third baseman. I had four guys that I've been shuffling around in uh, within about 10 spots of one another through the entire preseason. Arenado is now at the back of that group, but still very good, still very much a top 40 overall pick. I'm on board. 
Yeah, I have him in my outside my top 30 ever so barely, but you're right. If I had thoughts before of that tier of Devers, Rendon, Bregman, um, I guess LeMahieu, he's at the back now. He's the last guy there. And I wonder, so like Goldschmidt's a guy that we're not ranking all that well, uh, Arenado's new teammate. But we expect Goldschmidt to go like 30, 90, 280. Isn't that what we expect Arenado to do? So why are we still ranking Arenado 35 to 40 when we have Goldschmidt? I mean, is he even in like the top? He's like 75. So I guess my point is, why do we still have Arenado ranked in the top 40? Should we still have him ranked there? That's a good question doing the Goldschmidt comp. I haven't quite looked at that that closely. Uh, Goldschmidt, when I did... Goldschmidt's not going to steal bases. I mean, it's not the stolen base thing anymore. Neither one of them are batting 300 anymore. Um, I I I mean, we already have the concern about the shoulder. I guess the issue for me would be that there's three years difference in age. So Goldschmidt is more firmly in the declining power stage. And it's not steep. It's just, it's just you know, uh, a slight downturn. The numbers backed up that happening. I do think he has the ability to bounce back in terms of um, overall power. But if he does that, I think it'll come at the expense of batting average. I, I just, I think that, that Arenado is, based on track record, more likely of the two to put up another elite year. But it's a fair point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I would I have I have Arenado like in the 30s. I'll have new rankings out today. And I think that we it's a it's a we should not overrate the fact that he's leaving cores. I think we should not underrate the shoulder and the fact that that's the kind of thing that that just might not get better. St. Louis's lineup, by the way, right now could be the middle infield at the top, Tommy Edmond and Paul DeYoung, then Arenado, Goldschmidt. I love Dylan Carlson, though he did not hit at all as a rookie. And after that, the lineup is quite weak. I mean, Dexter Fowler, um, who's the catcher? Harrison Bader's not a, a hitter. He's a fielder. So Tyler O'Neill might fit in there. So it's a very like middle heavy. It's not a great lineup, actually. I mean, Evans should bounce back to some degree, but that's not a great lineup. Well, how about that? I thought it was think, better than that. I Yeah, and and it's possible they're not done constructing it. They might not add another supporting piece. I, I think how they construct the top two spots is going to be pretty big for fantasy. Uh, you, you mentioned Carlson. Carlson's one guy who I think based on the role uh, could be an intriguing value. I like where he's going in, in the early drafts. I want to, I want to ask you because cores leaving cores is a very big question. And this is another case of something I think people are vastly overrating. What's your perspective on this? I mean, do you think Arenado takes a full year to adapt? Like, for example, I mean, the first one that comes to mind recently was Corey Dickerson. He tanked in terms of batting average when he left Coors Field. Are you worried to that extent? Do you think there's a chance that happens with Arenado? Because I think others do. I don't. I, I You wrote this up expertly over the weekend, and I think your points are valid. It, it takes some time for a Coors Field hitter when he leaves to adjust, but I think that's more in season. The way I look at it is he has a whole off season to adjust. He's starting over as a Cardinal and he's just a good hitter. He's not going to do the things. He's not going to have the splits that he had in St. Louis, in Colorado. People don't realize when you're a Coors Field hitter, yes, your home numbers are unbelievable, but you can't adapt in your in-season road games when you leave for a series, you know, at City Field. It, does, it just doesn't work, and we see it every year with these guys. Now, some of these guys put up decent road numbers. Helton used to. Holiday was fine. Arenado wasn't an awful player in road games, but he wasn't slugging 550. I think you start over now, and I look at him as a guy who tops out at like 280, 290 with 30 home runs, if healthy. So to me, 
I think having the off season, and we don't even know how long this off season is going to be still. Yeah. But, and I'm going to try not to pick on baseball today, even though there's a million things that are wrong. But um, the fact is, I think the off season solves that issue. I think him starting this season in St. Louis uh, is good. And a midseason trade would have been a, ho- a lot worse. But check out Tristan's article at ESPN Fantasy because it's it outlines why we over why are we overrate the the big picture of a of a Colorado Rockies hitter, but people view it wrong. They don't understand what it is about a Coors Field hitter. That's the problem. It's the problem is adapting to the road games. But your question's valid. Um, but this is no longer a third round pick, a second or third round pick. This is I, like I a fourth round pick now. I do think he could be a third round pick. I don't think you need to do it. What I'm saying really is that if if he drops to the point where he's going 50th in drafts, and I think there is very realistically a chance he does in some cases, I think Arenado That's could be much. a tremendous bargain. I agree with that point. Let's look at what's left behind. That's fun, huh? So yeah. Trevor's story is still a Rocky, and I have a chance to take story in a dynasty league later this week. He's one of the few monster players that's available in that draft. And I don't care who hears this. I'm not going to do it because I think he's leaving Colorado. And by the way, that could be a good thing. Like if he starts this season as the full-time shortstop in another place, like it's not going to be Cincinnati because of money. But I mean, if Trevor Story gets traded soon, that might be okay for his value. He's a healthier Arenado who steals bases. He wouldn't be a first-round pick. But I don't want to draft story in a dynasty format, assuming he's a Rocky for more than another week. So is that fair to reevaluate Trevor's story based on the fact I didn't realize all the stuff that was going on with Colorado's franchise, to be honest with you, until this all went down. I, I knew some of it, but I didn't I didn't know the extent of it. Now, Trevor's story who's gonna, is set to be a free agent after the 2021 season. He might be like, get me out of here now. I'm not signing an extension. How do you view Trevor's story after this Arenado trade? And he loses a, another guy in the lineup. Yeah, and you know, first let's see here. Okay, so um, I don't know whether the intent here was to free up the money to re-sign Trevor Story. That is a possibility, but I agree with you that there's a, a realistic chance that the Rockies are going to make this decision that they can't afford him either, and he'll be gone in a year. So he might end up being traded. So I see your your concern about him being dealt, and I do think he might have a little bit more difficulty adjusting somewhere else initially. I don't know how long that will take because he struggles with contact and batting average in the first place. But you're right. Story is another guy who he's in the first round for fantasy, and yes, we're assuming he's a Rocky for the full year when doing that, because of how good he is in terms of stealing bases. I don't think people understand it. He is the only hitter, only hitter, who's finished in the top 20 in the player rater in each of the past three years. And the reason for that is he's also, and, and I'm pretty sure I have the threshold number here right, he's the only player who's been in the top 20 in stolen bases in each of the past three years. I believe so. Is that right? Yeah, I'm wow. looking this up. And and the stolen base metrics were up there consistently year over year as supporting that high player rater status. 27, 23, and 15, and the, the speed grades do support the ability to put up another 20, 25 steel season. And I, you know, I mean, like he goes to another team. All right. If he hit 235 while struggling, don't you think he still has the ability to hit 25 home runs, steal you 25 bases? Might he run more on the base pads? Of course. But I don't want him hitting 250 on my team either. What he can't be a first round pick doing that. 
to, to the point about my threshold thing here, I, I wrote an initial draft of this that I put in my notes, and then I, I unfortunately overwrote the file during a data crash. <laughs> so I don't have the, but I'm pretty sure it was that he's the, maybe it's he's the one, sh- no, he can't be the one shortstop. He, it was, he has a top 20 speed metric over the past three years, and he's the only guy who has it. That's great information and information I did not know, and that's why you're on the show. I mean, really, it's your show. I mean, I'm just here to host and, you know, help out. The way you're killing right? me in that I mean, draft? Come on, man. <laughs> uh, I'm not killing you in any draft. You are um, killing me. You okay, can take so, pick of mine. So the Rockies now look this way. Uh, Ramel Tapia could lead off story. Charlie Blackman. Um, Ryan McMahon, who has pop. Um, who who do you like because of the Arenado trade? My first thought was Brendan Rodgers, who I ended up taking in this NFBC draft. Um, obviously Garrett Hampson should be good for playing time now, but that's no lock. Um, McMahon, like who plays third? It could be McMahon. It could be Brandon Rogers. It could be Hampson who gains value because of this. Yeah. I mean, my snap judgment is McMahon plays third base just because he's the most natural option there. Josh Fuentes could, could, you know, perhaps get some time there. Um, I, I would say Hampson is more likely to get the benefit here, but, I hesitate to do it because we all tend to overrate. And myself, I mean, I'm as responsible as anybody for that. We tend to overrate Garrett Hampson. They do look at him like a, as a utility type, and the contact has been a major problem with him uh, over the past year. I, yeah, I mean, I think they probably would prefer Rogers grabs that job if he's healthy enough. He's hitting during spring training. I hope. I would imagine they hope he takes that job at second base, and then McMahon's at third every day. Right. And for the spot, I'm trying to see where the spot is where that trade happened Friday night. So this is a, a draft. Um, explain the NFBC draft that we're doing. It's, it's 15 teams um, and, and some great expert, great fantasy analysts, Paul Spore, Steve Gardner, Clay Link, Jeff Zimmerman, won it last year, Derek Ben Riper, Todd Zola, you and me, and it's 50 rounds, but you have a four hour clock to make your pick yep. and online. So when the Iron Arrow trade happened, I actually had a pick coming up. And I decided not to use it on Ryan McMahon, who I thought this didn't really change his value all that much. He was playing every day anyway. I thought about Garrett Hampson. I thought about Brendan Rodgers, but I thought it was a little bit too early. And then I still got Brendan Rodgers like five, like five rounds later. Um, your thoughts on that? Like overreacting well, to this, basically. Yeah. So so let, let's frame the outline of this draft, 15-team NFBC style, but it is also a draft and hold. And for those unfamiliar with this style of play, uh, you draft the team and that's it. You can set lineups each week, and NFBC allows you to alter your hitting portion of the lineup, not your pitching midweek, which would be going into Friday's games for the weekend series. So you can adjust lineups, hitting twice a week, pitching once on a weekly basis, but that's it. Those are your players. When you are done, that's what you got for the year, which means that playing time and locking in roles is kind of important. So you mentioned McMahon. Knowing that he's going to play, I agree. I don't think this changes his value all that much. But, you know, I'll tell you this. You know, Brandon Rogers, you did end up taking. I, I think that was a round later, wasn't it? Oh, it was a lot of rounds later. That's why I liked it. Um, it wasn't just one round later. I mean, I, I'm I trying to find point. it. Well, I want to make sure I get – oh, here it is. I took him in round 21, Yep. which is pretty late. McMahon was 17. I was a little okay, surprised. Yeah. You, you, I took Chris Sale. You took Christian Javier in the round that Ryan McMahon won. He went in the 17th round, which is pretty good value. I was looking at him at that pick. Yeah, I was looking at him, but I just – I didn't – I don't know. I decided – Brendan Rodgers, I don't know. 
I, I decided I wanted somebody else at that spot. I mean, uh, this draft is kind of strange. Like you have the fifth pick um, and I have the sixth pick overall, and then it's snakes. So we each can, you know, destroy each other every other round. So when you went on the clock and Trout and Turner, Trey Turner were still available, I texted you and I said, please take, please don't take Trout. But I looked at my rankings and I have Turner ahead of Trout. <laughs> so yeah. I decided that I was going to change my rankings at that point. So you did take Trey Turner over Mike Trout. Could you explain that? Why you did that? Yeah, I I really struggled with that one. Uh, you know, I will. I'm one of the biggest Mike Trout backers in fantasy that you can find. I went Trey Turner here because I fear being stuck in the cold at the middle infield spots and in terms of stolen bases. And I decided that I would be more comfortable trying to fill power on a week in, week out matchup basis in the later rounds. And it, it was as simple as that. I, I, I think Trey Turner is just as good as, as Mike Trout. He's the top of that next tier there. You know, we'll see if it pans out. I, I'm a little bit disappointed with what I got in round two. I'll be honest with you. If, I, if I'd known where oh, it would be there, I might have gone Trout in the first round. You took Manny Machado uh, in round two. The pick after I took Max Scherzer. And Adabelder Mondesi went the pick after you, you took Machado, which is interesting. Um, it, it seems early for, for Mondesi. But then again, stolen bases, it's hard to get them in a league like this. And and usable stolen bases on base is not a category, so Montessi has value there that way. So your couple pick you, you went middle infield early. Trey Turner, Manny Machado, Ozzy Albies. Nothing wrong with that three. You went Josh Hader in round four, yep. and you've been saying all along that you know you want one of the top saves guys. I'm actually punting saves, so that's a very different style you and I are playing here. I feel like in a 15 team league, you can punt saves and get away with it. And you took Hader in round four before like some really good players. Yeah, I, I would lean more towards you can't fill saves later in a league like this because you have no option for fab. So you can't chase saves during the season. They must come from the roster you drafted. And I am finding, especially in the stage that we're at now, that the prospective closers or the next in lines are being aggressively drafted. You could go that route. I've taken a couple of them myself, but I, I wanted to get I a like very, it. I wanted to go with a very clear option. I, I, the other thing, too, is I'm going to go with a mix and match pitching staff. I decided when I didn't get an ace after all those went, when you mentioned you took Max Scherzer, I decided I'm going to have to just mix and match. I've never had a problem in this league finding a pitching lineup for a week. I have on offense. So, yeah, I, I, everything you just said about relief pitching, I feel the exact opposite way. I'm like, if I can get – you took Tanner Rainey in, like, round 30. Well, I'd much rather do that than take uh, Brad Hand in round 10 or wherever he went. I mean, I, I think they're going to get maybe the same amount of saves. So I'll take some shots. I mean, nobody wanted Stefan Christian of Arizona. I got him around 20. So he might end up with as many saves as guys who went 10 rounds earlier. You took Denelson Lamette again. Basically, you're saying, all right, I'm in. <laughs> That's what you're saying. So you took Denelson Lamette, and with the next pick, I took Lance Lynn, and then went Steven Strasburg. That makes no sense. It's, just, it's, it's interesting it, how, like... I'll defend Lamette. I've been questioned about this a lot. I recognize the risk. We do not know enough about him right now. So I must rank him based on my confidence that he will give you a decent number of starts. But I need high impact innings, and that's all it is on the pitching side for me. My strategy here is based on I must maximize my lineups each week. So, like, you took Salvador Perez in round six, which is really, like, pick 90. And 40 picks later, I got Yasmani Grandal. I like my side of that. 
to wait, you know, 40 picks. Actually, it's like 70 picks later. I'm um, that works for me. Yep. I'm with I mean, you. I mean, I, I feel like I got as, just, just as good a catcher. And and we got some um, – I took David Price. You took Joe Musgrove with consecutive picks. That's really interesting to me. Yep. Like, my my staff is older. It's uh, Scherzer, Lynn, Granke, Price. And then I took some kids later, Nate Pearson, Jamison Tyone. But – I took some older pitchers early on and you've got Lamette and Paddock and Musgrove. And then you took Kluber who doesn't fit with that. He would have fit better on my team, but is there, there's, there's obviously more risk with taking 30 something pitchers like I am, but I also felt like they were undervalued in this draft. People were like passing on these older pitchers because they assume they're going to get hurt. Well, Lance Lynn doesn't get hurt. Zach Greinke doesn't get hurt. (laughs) Dave Price wasn't hurt. Lance you know, Lynn was one I, I gave know. a very serious look at when I took Lamette. That would have been my alternate pick there. Now, I got a note here because you brought this up. We're picking back-to-back. You are killing me in the even rounds. Jordan Alvarez. I, I loved where Jordan Alvarez won. I'm all all day on him in round six of a 15-team draft. And then for, for I think it was four in a row, you took Didi Gregorius, Leody Tavares, Jamison Tyone, Mitch Hanniger. All four of those. Those crushed me. That was exactly what I was taking with the next pick. I love where we're going with the values on Hanniger and Tyone. A lot of upside. You didn't spend very much in order to get them. Leota Tavares would have given me the balance that I'm looking for on my offense. That was another good pick. The more I look at him, the more I think there's there's good value here as a 14th rounder. And Didi Gregorius who just signed. I mean, Gregorius, by the way, there's a misconception about Didi Gregorius. We all think of him as a big pull power, swing and miss kind of guy. No, he's a contact guy. Yeah, doesn't strike out. And it's pretty safe power. And now he's going back to Philadelphia. And by the way, Leota Tavares, I was trying to think of guys who could steal 30 bases this year after like the top 100 picks. He was like the only guy on my list. <laughs> he, he, like he has to hit better. He's young. He didn't hit very well in his rookie season, but he can steal bases. So, all right, enough of that. Let's get to what the Phillies did. Where Gregorius is back and JT Real Muto is back. And they basically bring back the exact same lineup uh, that they had last season. And it was a, it was a good lineup. They scored a lot of runs. And uh, Gregorius is a good player. That's a 25 homer, 275 shortstop, who I think is a little underrated in drafts in general. In ESPN's rankings, I mean, he's not a top 100 player, but he should be going in like by round 15. And Real Muto is the top catcher, and he goes back to a place he's comfortable, hits well, he'll hit high in the lineup. Um, your thoughts on what the Phillies did? All right. So after my thoughts, I want your take on the earliest you'd go for JT Real Muto in a standard ESPN league. Um, I... I looked at Real Muto very closely before this one, and I see a lot of positive hard contact metrics that make him very attractive compared to the rest of the field. So, you know, I'm still still all in as a uh, as first of all the number one catcher, but second of all a guy who who probably should be thought about once you get to the 50th pick in your standard ESPN draft. Uh, Didi, I was less wild about. After I look closely at him, I like the the fact that the contact ability raises his floor is good. I think he's a solid, know what you're going to get, non-exciting mid-round, as you mentioned, round 15, I think it was, you, you threw the number. Um, I think that's about right. Like, you're getting him because you didn't spend big at the position, but he's perfectly adequate after we get past those early stages. I mean, there's nothing wrong with boring picks in round 15. He's a boring shortstop pick who is safe for numbers, and I think that's okay. Not every pick has to be a young guy with upside. And like, if you're going to take Joe Adele in the middle rounds, well, I can't even tell you who's going to get 300 PAs this year. But D.D. Gregory has played every game in 2020, and it's pretty safe power. He's going to bat fifth or sixth in a good lineup. He should knock in plenty of runs. So I like it. I think it's good. Real Muto, I have him ranked, I don't know, 80. So a little bit after you do. 
the earliest that's because it's a one catcher league. Where is the earliest you would possibly take him in a, in a every league is different. Look, I just took two catchers before anybody else in this NFPC. I don't know if you noticed that. And that's not my style, but in a two catcher 50 round league where I don't want to mess around, I took two catchers that I know are going to play and I know are going to hit for power. I took Grandal and Nola. Real Moto, the earliest? I don't know. I guess it depends on the league, but around six or seven, I suppose, but I don't really want to. I mean, look, he didn't play the final two weeks of either of the last two seasons. And the reason why is because he got hurt. Catchers get hurt. When you draft a catcher, this is the thing I didn't mention on the last show. Look, Dieter Gregorius could play 155, 160 games a season. Real Moto can't. That's part of the reason why when you take a catcher in round six or seven, the difference in taking somebody else in round six or seven, like is, you know, I don't know. I mean, your is a bad example, but like if you can, let me find a guy who makes sense here. So I don't, Real, I'll make it up. Just throw this but, in though. Real like, you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. It's somebody who could play every single Jeff McNeil might play 155 games a season. Right. All right. And I'm not saying I would take Jeff, Jeff McNeil over real Muto, but the fact is you're going to get more PAs, <laughs> more runs scored, a lot of stuff. I don't, I, I love real Muto. I don't love him in fantasy because I don't think he's a, a, a ton better than every other catcher, but I just think it's too early. I can get really good players in that round and I wouldn't do it. Real Muto went, real Muto went in round three of this, of this draft, which might be fine, but it's a I lot thought, earlier than any other catcher. Yeah. I thought about I him. There. I, I, when, I when he was there. I, I, I was looking squarely at rail Put it this way. Real Muto went before Whit Merrifield in this draft. I don't think I could ever do that. I took Merrifield two picks later. I know I'm getting stolen bases. I think he could hit 15 to 20 home runs, score a ton of runs, hit for average. Second base, that's a really good player. Real Muto is too, but you know I what? Just, that the I, value can't do it. I will take that Real Muto pick over your Merrifield in this style draft. And we should point out, because it's a good way to tie this into the ESPN Standard Leagues, this is where the league settings absolutely matter. I will tell you, I've been there so many times in this league where I've run out of, literally run out of catchers I could start. And then you were leaving a blank space, which yes, a blank space is sometimes smart at catcher, but you were giving up those 25, 30 for the season runs RBI that you're going to get at the, at the worst. Uh, Real Moto turns 30 next month. Um, Kyle notes he's one of six NL players to slug 480 in each of the past three seasons, which is great. Freeman, Acuna, Story, Harper, and Soto. But he's turning 30 and he's a catcher, and I just can't be blind to that. And look, five-year deal for JT Real Moto. I love him the next couple years, and then Philly might have a problem when he's 34 and 35. But I guess that's DH full team. You're going to be rooting for that DH role. I already have a DH full team. <laughs> I mean, like Hoskins can't play first. Not a good first baseman. Alec Bohm has had decent third base rank ratings, actually, uh, as a rookie. But I think we all know he's not a good third baseman. So, I don't know. The Phillies are going to score runs, and they're going to give up runs. Other players who signed since our last show, let's get to these guys. Um, Eddie Rosario and Jock Peterson, two guys who don't hit lefties all that well. Um, I ended up with Jock Peterson in this 30 in this uh, 50 round draft, but I got him like a hundred picks after Kyle Schwarber and you took Schwarber. That seems like value to me because two seasons ago, they had the exact same numbers, 30 home runs, low batting average, can't hit lefties. Peterson's a cub. Now they'll bat him fifth or sixth every day, maybe even higher, you know, in a platoon role, but maybe they don't platoon him. I kind of hope they platoon him in a way, but that's huge value. Isn't it? It's huge value. You also had the advantage of, 
proceeding through this draft knowing what the role was. And it's a pretty good landing, landing spot for Jock Peterson. He will take the Kyle Swerver role, and I think that's going to mean the occasional games against lefties. And very likely fits as a one-two hitter for them, if not clearly their leadoff man. So that's a plus. I don't think they're going to go the Chris Bryant direction, frankly. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm probably looking yeah, at Peterson ahead. when I take Schwarber there, if we know the roles of the two players at the time. I mean, Luke on Twitter asked us Schwarber or Jock in a redraft. You take Schwarber over Jock Peterson. But if in an ESPN league, if Schwarber goes around 10 and Peterson goes around 20, that's a pretty good value for Peterson. And I would argue on Schwarber, it's not good value, but it's where he deserves to go. Right. Which sounds fair to me. I'll, I'll um, note that I did take Eddie Rosario in this draft. And at the time, his role was not known. He was a ninth round pick. And I'll tell you, to me, that's a steal of a value. I got to understand, this is a guy who was 60th overall and he was the 19th outfielder. I don't know why. Well, I know why Minnesota let him go. I, I don't get it. Okay, whatever finances, but landing in Cleveland, I think, is a pretty good place. Shorter, for one thing, just simply the shorter wall in right field is a big plus for him. Absolutely. I, I think Eddie Rosario is a good value. I don't call him a definite top 100 player anymore, but I do think he's around where you take Schwarber. Um, and right now, Cleveland, you know, going to that team, he was kind of buried in a deep Minnesota lineup. Cleveland's lineup is not deep. So, like, I assume Cesar Hernandez leads off for Cleveland, and he's kind of underrated in his own right. And then Jose Ramirez. And then it could be Rosario hitting third in between Ramirez and Franmil, who's a 40-homer threat for sure. So, to me, Eddie Rosario gets a bump, actually, after this is signing because he was batting six, seven, eight for the Twins, and now he's batting, you know, two, three, four for Cleveland. So, the Cleveland baseball team. So, I say good for him. Uh, he's a limited player, but 270 with 30 home runs, that's pretty good. I actually, probably more than Schwarber's going to do. I, I don't think he's limited. I, I think you're you're building a foundation for him being a really good value. I think Eddie Rosario leans towards being in the top 100. I agree with you that it's not a slam dunk, but I think there is a there's a real possibility he, he digs deeply into that top 100. You have him ranked 59, so obviously he's in your top 100. I, he's in my top 100. I, I don't want to miss, miss say what I'm saying. Rosario is in my top 100. I don't think he's a tremendous value at the 70th pick or 59 where you have him, I think I'd rather have Schwarber 30, 40 picks later than Rosario because that's kind of how people judge them. But I see what you're saying. Rosario never hits 220 like Schwarber and Jock Peterson either. So, or Matt Olson just did. There's a lot of players who, who might not hit for averages. You're a lot of lefty hitters <laughs> yeah. by the way that we have to be careful of. I mean, that we all rank pretty well. Also the, uh, increasing, yeah, good shifting, for the increasing shifting influences these guys poorly too. Absolutely. Um, that certainly matters. Um, all right, who else signed over the past week that we need to deal with? Anderson Simmons is now a twin, um, which is interesting. Not a good hitter, not a guy you, you have to take in a fantasy league. But what does that mean for Eduardo Escobar? Is it? No, not Eduardo Escobar. Jorge what am I thinking Polanco. of? Um, Jorge Polanco, because they were teammates. I used to think of them the same. Um, that's interesting now. He's going to play second, and then Luisa Rise is like a all-over-the-field guy. Luisa Rise now probably doesn't even get 400 PAs, which is bad because I think he could bat 350. <laughs> but, you know, who knows? Arise could, yeah, Arise is going to find his time in in, uh, in several different roles. I actually think this this move is potentially catastrophic news for Polanco. And Polanco's not that special a player. I'll tell you, he's, he's not all that much better than what Simmons was maybe two years ago where he get, contributes a little, you know, like double-digit pop, 
double-digit stolen bases, but most of it is driven by the role, and the role is now in question. I, and I mean, maybe he bounces back after the two ankle surgeries. I, I don't know, but it's a line drive guy without blazing speed. What do you do with Marcus Semeny in a fantasy league? He's in Toronto now. He's going to add second base eligibility, we presume. Um, Bo Bichette at the top of the lineup. Semeny could bat second. Um, I mean, or, but you know, or Biggio could lead off. We don't really know Toronto's lineup right now. That's a big deal in how I look at Marcus Semyon, because if he's batting six, seven, eight, I don't want him. But man, you, there's a lot of different permutations of this lineup on, on roster resource and fan graphs. They have Springer one, Semyon two, Bichette three, then Teoscar and Vlad and Biggio six. Well, that's interesting. Like Biggio is a, a, a clear on base guy, maybe the best on the team. And he's batting six. So where this lineup ends up, you know, and also he's like the only lefty hitter guaranteed to play. You got Springer, Semi, and Bichette, Tasker, all right-handed, and Vlad. So I want to see their lineup before making it. But, you know, if we're, if we're drafting this week, you have to make a decision on Semi and Biggio and Bichette. Yeah. Semi and a 25-homer guy with 10 steals if he get, bounces back a little bit. But that was really like his only great year, too. Yeah, Semyon went in the 10th round in this draft, so we're looking at uh, probably the 132nd or so pick, the 133rd. Um, That, to me, is very good value. When he's sliding outside the top 100, I I think Semyon is closer to the player we saw two years ago than the one last year. Did deal with some injuries, and the only big note I had was he, he simply could not square up the ball last year. Not an elite contact or elite hard contact kind of guy, but he just couldn't square the ball up. And I have to think some of that was due to injury. I like the supporting cast, but you're right. The lineup where he slots in the lineup is going to play a big part. And and by the way, like we talked a lot about Arenado earlier. We knew he was hurt. What if Semyon was hurt? We just didn't know it. He he bounces back and he's great again. You know, like, yeah, he, he was okay. definitely hurt. He had, so he had a side injury that wasn't full oblique. You know, you and I always talk about the oblique issues where they go on the IL and they miss three weeks. He didn't do that, but it was mentioned at the time when it came up and it was treated like it was minor, that that was one that had been nagging for him. And I think it was even previously to 2020. So to me, I think that played a bigger part. All right, let's bring in our buddy and now the birthday boy, Kyle Sapi now our awesome researcher and producer. He's got trivia for us and some hash browns. Let's see if the connection works. If not, I'll read them. Kyle, what do you got? Fingers crossed here. We'll start with some trivia. You guys know the 40-40 club for hitters. I want it for pitchers. Since 2018, just two pitchers have 40 quality starts and have not allowed at least 40 home runs. Who are they? Since what year? All right, Kyle. It lasts three years. Since 2018. Last three seasons. And Kyle's not coming in so well, so we're going to cut him off now. And I'll read the hash browns for today's show. And we'll do the trivia after that. So the trivia question, Tristan, was, and again, because of the weather right now, we're having some connection issues, but it seems like Tristan and I are connecting okay. Kyle's the one in Connecticut having the issue. Um, Since 2018, just two pitchers have at least 40 quality starts and have not allowed 40 home runs. One is easy. The other, I guess, is not. Um, and we'll do that after the hash browns. I, I think I know the easy one. He just won a bunch of Cy Youngs. But the other one, I don't know. Because <laughs> I know DeGrom doesn't give up a ton of home runs. Um, we've got some hash browns here. Let's see if we can answer them for people. Um, and you can submit your hash browns before each show on Twitter. Kyle usually sends out a tweet. I think his Twitter handle is at Kyle Soppy. And if you put the hashtag in, what's the hashtag for this, uh, Tristan? Do you know? It's... Uh, 
Uh, the 06010 MLB. Just 06010 MLB. So if you tweet that, Kyle will see it. And Kyle, is, the note. Kyle is at Kyle Soppy ESPN. That's right. I'm Carabelle ESPN. I'm Carabelle Eric. Carabelle Eric. And Tristan is Sultan of Stat for some reason. Um, <laughs> and it's probably a good <laughs> Well done, sir. No, I mean, that's a, that's a clever thing, you know? <laughs> For some yeah, I think that it's a good it's a good good job out of you. Um, <laughs> all right, hash browns. Jake says keeper league all the same price. Who you keeping? Corey Seager, Clayton Kershaw, Wander Franco of Tampa Bay. Um, we have a big difference in where we rank Wander Franco, Tristan, in uh, redraft leagues. I believe you didn't have him anywhere close to anything. You you don't have him ranked in your top three hundred, and I have him at like one fifty. Can can I justify that? No, I had him there. I had him. There. Why? No, you and I had him in that that range earlier on in the offseason and in my re- more recent updates. As I believe he's not going to be there for all 162, I have moved him down. But if you believe he's going to be the starting shortstop, and maybe you know the the talk about the Willie Adamas possibility of a trade to Cincinnati. Cincinnati's desperate now for a shortstop. If they clear shortstop, maybe that means Franco's there, and I put him right back at 150. I think this guy is ready to debut in the major leagues. And I think Tampa Bay calls him up in May or June and puts him at third base. That's what I think. Now That's I could not be wrong. Be enough for 150 though. I mean, how can you, do you think he's really going to give you a 150 performance? Well, I, I think he's really, really good. And I think in an ESPN league, okay, remember this is, I'm doing my rankings for an ESPN league yeah. where I know that free agency will be buoyant with possibilities so I'm willing to take a ch- Is that a little early? Yeah, I probably should move him down to like 200. But I, I, I think this guy is generational talent. I do. I think power, speed, average, everything. So yeah, I'm willing to take him a little bit earlier. I mean, who am I taking in round 15 of an ESPN draft? I mean, I, I have to look and see who it is. That's basically where I'm at. So I'm going to throw a challenge here. then. Go ahead. My challenge would be based on the ESPN structure. I'd like to see anybody who took Wander Franco in the first 200 picks of their draft and was able to keep him on their roster until his debut. And I mean, you know, don't do that and show me a 12th place team or, well, it'll be a 10th place team. Don't show me a last place team that did it because you forced them on your bench. Three bench spots? Mm. I see your point. I have more discipline than that. If I take him, I would wait. But I'm looking at the picks that are going in your round 16. Clint Frazier, Corey Kluber, Cabrian Hayes, Gene Segura. They're not special. I mean, some of them have upside to some degree, but like Andrew McCutcheon's 162. Would I take Franco over him? Yeah, I'd rather wait two months. Now, I could be wrong and he doesn't come up till September, but I, I, I want to be aggressive here. It depends on the league, okay? I might do something different in a deeper league or a two-catcher league or a league with less bench spots, but, you know. Uh, and, and again, when I redo my rankings today and they'll be posted today, maybe I'll have more like pick 200. I think that makes more sense than pick 150. But I look at the the, the guys that are going in these range. I'm like, is is Dylan Carlson any safer than Wander Franco? He should play more. He should play right away. But he's not safer for numbers. Wander Franco in four months could do what Dylan Carlson is going to do in five months. So that's why I rank him where I do. And you have Dylan Carlson, 168. So that's that's me justifying it. But I'm going to move Franco to like 180 to 200 range. Let's answer the question for this gentleman. Yeah. Um, 
it's got to be Corey Seager in a keeper league. Clayton Kershaw is older. Um, Corey Seager had a great 2020. He's healthy again after the Tommy John surgery. Top shortstop, just doesn't run, but a four-category shortstop. So I think Seager's the obvious keeper here, don't you? I, I'll break the rule of asking a question to answer a question, and that is that what is said price? I think that is paramount to this answer. If we're talking about well, these, I, if, yeah. if we're talking about three one dollar players, there is real appeal in knowing you could lock in Franco for the entirety of his career at a reasonable price. If it's three players at thirty dollars, I am taking Seager and Seager and Seager and also Seager and uh, who are the other guys? Are you taking Seager? It's not even close at at that level. By the way, I don't want to insinuate that Clayton Kershaw is near the end of his run because I'm probably going to get him in a deep league later this week. But I still think he's got three good years and he looked great in 2020 and the K rate was there. And I keep keep getting him in a lot of leagues because people want to pass on him. And I think that's a mistake. But to answer Jake's question, I would take Corey Seager. Luke writes, what is Dom Smith's long-term outlook? At some point this offseason, I had Dom Smith ranked ahead of Pete Alonso. I've since changed that. Because I'm not sure there's going to be a DH in the National League and Dom Smith may not play as much. But if they announce tomorrow, and please do, that the DH is universal, I, if Pete Alonso is going at pick 40 and Dom Smith's going at pick 100, that's just ridiculous because I think they're just as good. I think I think Pete Alonso would hit more home runs and Dom Smith might give you 40 extra points of batting average. I love Dom Smith. I think Dom Smith in 2021, assuming there's a DH and they play him and Alonso at DH slash first base, I think Dom Smith bats 280 with 30 home runs and Pete Alonso bats 250 with 40 home runs. So the better value to me, you could easily, the better value in where they're going in drafts is clearly Dom Smith, but you can make a case with Dom Smith just over Pete Alonso anyway, which nobody, I don't hear anybody else making that case, but I am. Is that crazy? No, it's not crazy at all. And I think it is a case you can make. And I will say that I hate ranking Dominic Smith and I'll be a big fat jerk and say that I wish we knew what the DH situation would be because with the DH, Dominic Smith is easy as 61 overall rank for me. And if there's no DH, he's highly likely a 141 rank for me. And I'm splitting the difference at 101 and don't feel very good about it. I I think they'll figure this out. I haven't ranked in my top 100. I don't think they're going to have a DH. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think we'll have a DH. I think it's coming in the next CBA. And what stinks is I really hope that doesn't bump Dominic Smith's career progression off track. I really hope that doesn't happen, and I'm a little bit worried about it. He's an excellent hitter. He's an excellent hitter. He's a better hitter than Alonzo. Just doesn't have nobody has as much power. Alonzo's a massive power hitter, but right. But you're absolutely right about the the comparative values here between those two. I've looked deeply into these two players, and it's driving me up the wall that I don't see a path to Smith playing. I hate going with the no path to playing time, but it's true. Uh, B writes in anything to Miguel Cabrera showing some pop late last season, five home runs and a 784 OPS in September. The OPS doesn't excite me, but five home runs in a month for uh, Miguel Cabrera could be interesting. There was a lot of talk about him going into the 2020 season. Uh, he looked great. He lost weight, best shape of his life. Um, we ignored it all. And then he had another average season. I can't make a case to draft Miguel Cabrera in the ESPN standard. I don't think you can either. Let me see where you have him ranked. I know you have, we all, we remember we have 40, we have 50 first baseman ranks. So obviously Cabrera is, he's DH DH only that, that for him is a bad. Oh, that's even worse. Yep. Yeah. How about that? And I was on that bandwagon as, oh, nobody wants Miguel Cabrera. Okay, I'll happily take him at the end of my draft. 
I did that in a few places, was pleased enough with it. It was nothing, you know, eye-popping, but it was perfectly solid. Yo, this is really strange. So I just, he was one of the more recent ones I researched. Seventh best average exit velocity last year. Seventh best in the majors. And he was 18th best in terms of hard contact. So which, why aren't you believing? He's, like, he'll like play that, this that year was- 38. And it was 250 and 10 home runs. I mean, are you... Are you going to get that kind of home run production over 162? Yeah, let's look. All right. So looking at your DH rankings, which at the top is all wrong. Um, but at the bottom, you've got outside your top 300, Cabrera ahead of Edwin Encarnacion. And I would say if Edwin signs, you'd have to take him over Miguel Cabrera. But Cabrera had better exit velocity, better of everything in 2020. Edwin looked done. Mm-hmm. You know, he looked done. I can't make a case to rank Cabrera in my top 300. The, the DHs you have ahead of him are Chris Davis at 270, Willie Calhoun 296. I agree with all that. Um, yeah, I don't want. I, we're wasting time here. Cabrera doesn't belong in. in Encarnacion, I'm not sure is going to find a regular role. That's one of the reasons he's ranked so poorly for me. No, by the end of this show, Nelson Cruz could be back on the Twins, and to me, Nelson Cruz would be the number one DH. Jordan Alvarez is two, and JD Martinez is three. Right now, you've got Martinez first, Cruz second, Alvarez third which based on age makes no sense. Uh, based will, on production makes no sense. I will add because this is going to happen in AL labor where we do have the inability to stock up your bench during the, uh, the what what would you call it? The player, uh, <laughs> gosh, what is it? The salary cap system here for labor. Um, there are a lot of DHs. It's like, I think it was three years ago. And we will, we will find that not enough teams have the space to roster the player so Cabrera could be a value in that specific spot. I think there will be places you want to have him. I'm not excited from a broad standpoint. And and that's a very valid point you're making there because I took in this NFBC draft, Jordan Alvarez, you saw when I did it, mm-hmm. that locked me out of taking J.D. Martinez. Essentially, I could have taken him as a bench spot, but why would you do that? So I, I can't take like Oakland's Chris Davis now because it makes no sense. But you know, by taking Alvarez at pick 100, now, which is a huge value. Now I can't take another DH only guy. Um, all right, let's get to a couple more questions and then end this because it's getting, I don't want to do what we did last week, which was a very long show. Alex writes, what is your favorite tiebreaker in a head to head league? He lost his league because regular season record was the default, but he feels that advantage is already accounted for in the seating. Favorite tiebreaker in a head to head league. Hmm. What would you say to that league winner? I'm trying to think if I've had one where we needed a tiebreaker. Um, oh, I have. I, I have. I, I had one that was decided by a tiebreaker last year. Bench spots. Um, bench spots total. Bench spots? Yep. What? Bench what spots mean? total. The the total points by your bench player. Now, if it's an ESPN oh, standard and it's three that. players, that's very difficult to do it. Oh, that's very popular. Oh, I, I don't like – a fair tiebreaker should be head – well – Head to head. I mean, I, this is what he's complaining head about. Head. Husband, you're you're spitting back the, what he just said he doesn't like. You you can't just spit back the I don't, the higher seed. You can't do that. Like that's no. Well, the higher seed should have something. Should win something here. He but like also that. the that's head to question. Well, then head to head should be between that this team and the other team should be the other thing. I mean, in a points league, it'd be points scored. Um, 
you're right. I guess it's a kind of four in the seating, but I, I don't like bench anything at all. Cause I use my bench very differently in all these leagues. And that's so, I mean, totally fair. I, I, I want to, if I want Wander Franco in a league and doesn't play until June, that's then I'm not going to accumulate bench points. I don't like that. No, to- totally fair. And you know, because the way that I structure it, that I, I might be going with an entire bench of relief pitchers, which could put me at a dis- disadvantage because I like to mix and match in the SPN league. So yeah, it, it matters who you have on your bench. I, I can't think of another logical choice, though, other than the higher seed situation. I mean, and my take to that is if you work that hard to get that higher seed during the regular season and you guys ended up tied in the playoffs, well, that's just tough luck. Do better in the regular season. Uh, send in your tweets. We're going to do next show will be next week. Unless I don't even know how many signings could happen this week. I guess trades could could, could make us do another show this week. Like if Trevor Story gets traded to somebody. Um, but, you know, we'll let's answer the schedule trade. in a week. Just watch. <laughs> well, I, I I just hope we're talking about like we have clarity. Let's put it that way. I want clarity really soon because I've got drafts and we're in, we're in the middle of this draft here. I've got another draft coming up on Sunday, which is an important one. Yep. And the guy in that league that got me into the league listens to this show and he kind of knows what I'm thinking in a couple of different spots. <laughs> um, so that's important. And um, let's answer the trivia question. We can't get Kyle back right now. But it was since 2018, just two pitchers have at least 40 quality starts and have not allowed 40 home runs. One is easy. By the way, it's really hard to find quality starts. Like, it's not on every website, by the way. Like, I'm looking for it right now, not to cheat, but to just figure it out. Like, it's not even, like, easily accessible. I guess nobody, like, cares about quality starts. I'm trying to find it on Baseball Reference and I don't see it. Um, it's but- there. It's, you have to dig on a couple of pages you have to dig it's not in the normal stats i assume that jacob Degrom is one of these he's got it and it's got to be and kyle i guess you can text me and tell me <laughs> what you think there but let's figure out the other so that probably the easy one yeah. um because he's winning the cy youngs and we know he, he he suppresses home runs so basically you're trying to think of pitchers here who suppress home runs would be the way that i would look at it Right. We don't, we don't, if, if we're choosing the obvious guys, it's not Cole because of Cole's issues with the home run with the, yeah, he never home runs last year. Right. So right. I, I think DeGrom's a logical guess. The question is who is the less likely one? Uh, you know, the next guy I think of is Mr. Groundballing Aaron Nola. He gave up home runs two seasons ago. I don't think he's the answer. Um, and like now that we're guessing, let me look up Noah and see if he, I don't think Noah's the answer. I, he gave up a bunch of home runs two seasons ago. He gave up like 30, didn't he? Give I can points. tell you the answer in a second. If you, you know, if we, I, I want to go off the board here. Like I'm trying to think of players. DeGrom is correct. DeGrom is the obvious one. DeGrom is obvious. He, he texted me back there. So this is since over the last three seasons or two and a half, you know, basically full seasons uh, who suppresses home runs. I was so um, close. I was so close. Like, I'm trying to think who didn't give up home runs last season, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like Dallas Keuchel didn't last year, or Corbin Burns didn't give up home runs last year. Um, I would tell you I didn't correct, think you were going to get it, but you might get it. I would never get this. Uh, I was well, it's not a Rockies pitcher. You were really close. Would you say Nola? Oh, it's a Wheeler. Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler. I know he didn't give up home You know what? If Zach Wheeler is the answer, it, it is. brings up an interesting point here because he changed what he did in 2020 for the Phillies, and that made him a less valuable fantasy option because his K rate plummeted. So what do we expect? He Kyle just texted me. He, so the answer is Zach Wheeler. I guess he did that for me. 
What do we expect out of Zach Wheeler in 2021? Will he have a suppressed K rate, but be more of a ground ball guy who doesn't give up home runs? Because that would make him let, like, I rank him really well, assuming that his K rate bounces back to some degree. And I probably rank him better than you do. And I don't want to, I don't want to think it's because I'm a Phillies fan. I don't think it is. Oh, well, I don't even see where you have Wheeler 32 among starting pitchers. I have him like 24. So what is it about Wheeler? You're assuming that that K rate is not going to be high again. Is that, is, I don't want to assume, but yeah, I'm doing a little bit of splitting the difference there. And maybe I should put him ahead of Zach Greinke because, you know, my <laughs> we talked a little bit about I'm, that. I'm really surprised because you've said a lot of bad things about Greinke. Why wouldn't you rank Wheeler ahead of Greinke? Yeah. He's a lot young. It's, it's a good point. I've str- I, I don't think I've ever struggled so much with the, the, you know, little details of rankings than I have this year. In Wheeler's case, it was a weird year. You mentioned the strikeout rate. The other is he went four-seam fastball, which is a little more strikeout-oriented, I think. I mean, I look at a guy like this who's going ground ball, more pitch to contact, and I think, oh, yeah, he went sinker heavy. No, he didn't. He threw a four-seamer almost 60% of the time. So so what the heck? I don't know. But he did. He pitched really well. It was his second-best whip of his career. Yep. The ERA was three, three. It's just that 18% K percentage. Man, that's really down from 2019. We assumed this was a guy who could flirt with 200 strikeouts. He can't do it pitching like this but he was really effective. So as a Phillies fan, I want him to be effective. I don't care about the K rate, but as knowing the Phillies defense, maybe I do. <laughs> so, yeah, I that's the know. tough part of it. I'm, I'm just, I, what I've noted down is that I can't, I can't give him a projection that's anywhere near 200 strikeouts. And that's, I can't that's all it is. If it's 150 strikeouts and he's not a top 30 starting pitcher, unless his ERA is like 250. But so the- you've got to strike people out. But this quality start and home run combination makes me think a little bit about the consistency and perhaps I should push him. Maybe I should inch him up a couple of spots. Yeah. I think you should. And not because I'm a Phillies fan or not because I have him that way, but like there's a couple of pitchers you have ranked ahead of him. Like I, I, I don't have Lazardo ranked 25th among starting pitchers. I'm quite certain of that. I think, I why him. do you have Max Freed 28? I thought you would have Max Freed a little bit better. How can Max you not is have a very good pitcher? Period. Yeah. He shouldn't he be better of than Granky. Why um why do you have Oh, you think I should have Freed higher? Yeah, I'm surprised you oh. don't. I th- I thought of him as a top 20 borderline guy and you don't have him that way. So that's int- that's int- yeah. we have a lot of interesting differences in our rankings. You know what? That's for a future show when we don't have a lot of other things to discuss. Uh, but we're going to wind this one down and as always, thank you so much for listening to Fantasy Focus Baseball. Um, I hope we pass the audition. Um, Kyle Safi does a great job researching, producing. Old people know what that meant. Um, oh, Daniel Murphy retired. Dustin Pedroia retired. A lot of great memories from a fantasy aspect from those two guys. Honestly, I mean, Daniel Murphy had some nice years. Underrated player. Good second baseman, um, yep. I'll never forget interviewing Daniel Murphy at the All-Star Game one year and saying to him, and I was very honest when I asked these players questions and some of them didn't like that back in the day when I was asking players questions. And I said, how are you stealing bases? You know? And like Murphy lifted his shirt to show me like his, like, <laughs> pinch and inch. it was like, he, he had a belly on him and he's like, man, I, oh, you know, I take my opportunities. I'm not fast. I'm like, how are you doing that? Like, he was really fun to talk to. He was a good guy. Well, he did some other stuff, but the point is like, I remember asking him that question, like why there was a year. Remember there was a year where he was stealing. Yeah. He stole like 20 bases one year. I'm like, how are you doing that? Cause you're not fast and you're not like, you know, anyway, anyway, thank you for a nice career, Daniel. Uh, th- Dustin Pedroia. And you know, my yeah, memory I'm asking of- you on that. 
since since Mr. All you're you're gonna get a Hall of Fame ballot that has Mr. Dustin Pedroia's name in it. I'm pretty sure of that. And are you voting yes? I don't think I could vote for Pedroia. I think Utley would get in over Pedroia. Um, I do get a Hall of Fame ballot in a few years, and thank God I didn't have one this year. And what a mess. Um, and they've got some work to do to figure all that stuff out. Uh, Pedroia um, is a tough read, though. I, I, I don't I, think he is. It's You know what? I go on gut, uh, you know, to some degree. Doesn't I, I look at all the tell stats. you more yes, though? That's The reason I ask it is that the gut to me says, Why, oh, yeah. the MVP? I feel like Pedroia's career was a little longer and a little better even than, than when I look at the numbers in retrospect. And I look at it here on the baseball reference card and I say, Gosh, it wasn't as long as I would have liked it to be. That's a shame. Yeah, he didn't he didn't do it for a long enough time. And people say that about Utley, but I think Utley would get in over Pedroia. I, I don't feel like Pedroia is a Hall of Famer. Pedroia but, feels um, like the modern Don Mattingly. I mean, now, now, you know, maybe he was better at the peak, perhaps. But, you know, like one of those, man, I wish those injuries hadn't gotten in his way. Do you remember back in 2006 when I was thinking of drafting Pedroia in a Sim League and you told me not to? Yeah, and you t- I remember. You remember who you told me to draft? Yes, I know who I t- told you to take instead. Oh, yes, oh, and he was listening to you. He was, hey, you know, if he could have had a career, that's uh, yeah, life lent- life ended too shortly for Nick Aidenhart. But at the time, we thought he was, was going to be an ace. That was awful. Dustin Pedroia, nice career. Thank you so much for that. Uh, great fantasy numbers, and obviously, Red Sox fans loved him. And I love the fact that he never played for another team. I think that's important, actually. Um, when a guy just plays his whole career for one team. And we wish he could have played more in his 30s than he did. But, you know, he gave us a lot of good fantasy numbers. He was fun to watch. And as a guy who's not all that tall or heavy, it was fun to watch a guy like that. Pedroia was not 5'9". He's listed as 5'9", but he's, he, he, I don't think he, he was like 5'6". But um, yeah. anyway, now we're wasting. Oh, Alex Cobb's been traded to the Angels. Oh, on the next show, Alex Cobb for 30 minutes. What do you think of that one? We can't give it away now because we want you to listen to the next one. Thank you so much for listening to Fantasy Focus Baseball. We'll be back with you soon. By the way, ESPN's uh, Fantasy Baseball game launching soon, two weeks, I believe. Um, That's the plan. So um, that should be a lot of fun for everybody, for everybody who's complaining on Twitter. That's what we believe is going to happen. There'll be a draft kit, lots of nice stories, rankings, projections, write-ups, the whole shebang, and then uh, some mock drafts. Anyway, get ready for baseball season. Look out your window. There's a foot of snow. For Tristan and Kyle, I'm Eric. Have an awesome week.